Thank you, ladies. John chapter 6 in our Bibles this morning. Gospel of John chapter 6. So appreciate those of you who serve us uh, with music. Um, Rianne, when are you heading down to Indiana? July 28th. So uh, Rianne's taking a teaching position down in Indiana at a Christian school there. Of course, uh, grew up at Trinity Baptist Church. You can be in prayer for her. And uh, she'll be working down there, teaching down there, ministering down there in that church. Uh, we're going to miss you. And uh, whenever our young people grow up and uh, go to college, we miss you. And, uh, and then when you move away, we miss you even more. But uh, as, as she was playing the flute, I was just thinking about uh, watching her grow up. And not just her, but other young people in our church. And um, how many of you, I can remember you, and I was one of those young people at one point too, running around the game line in Awana and Awana Circle and saying verses, learning the Bible, sitting under Bible teaching in Sunday school, um, then being a part of the youth group and going on different activities, different events, sitting under more preaching, a lot of preaching, um, and just growing up. And uh, many of you, I, I, you're, you're such a blessing to me when I see you begin to love the church and uh, you, uh, you learn how to sing and you minister to us through song and music like that. Hey, for those of us who have younger children, don't miss out on the opportunity to um, teach, let's teach our children to, to love to sing, to, to want to sing. Um, it's something that has to be learned. Um, it's been a few years now, but one of, one of my children who will remain nameless, we'd be driving down the road, and, and that one just loved to sing. But they were all over the map as far as tune is concerned. In fact, it sounded something akin to the howling of a coyote, okay? And there more, more than one occasion, while they were belting it out at the tops of their, top of their lungs, I would be in the driver's seat sitting beside me, and I would actually start to howl quietly, and Cindy would like smack me and tell me to stop it, you know. But that's what it sounded like. And, uh, but through like Patch Club and just, just being a part of a church service like this and singing and and we got our kids involved in piano lessons. I don't know that any of them will play like Mrs. Scott or maybe Mrs. Pagan play, but um, we, I want them to be well-rounded, and I want them to learn to enjoy music. It's a gift from God, and to use that music to be a blessing to us. Isn't it always a blessing to you when someone stands, and they've worked, and they've practiced? And, of course, when I'm over there, my knees are shaking, and the book's shaking. But uh, I've loved learning the songs about the Lord and then singing to the people that I love who love the Lord with me. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. So, but as parents, it's going to take a little bit of perseverance on our part because not all of our children are going to love music or have the discipline to want to continue, okay? So persevere, parents. Uh, train up some well-rounded young people, okay? They can be athletes. They can be academically sound, but include music in that, okay? Because it... You know, athletically, we really can't use much of our athleticism as it goes away as we get older to be a blessing to the church. When I mean, we could have a softball throwing contest on the platform, it wouldn't really fit, would it? Um, but music you can use uh, for a long, long time, and many of you continue to do that. So I appreciate you um, 
using your music for the Lord that way. We're in John chapter 6. Um, I'm not going to go back and read the entire chapter. Of course, the beginning of chapter 6, what do we have? We, John the Baptist had just been murdered. Um, it's the time of the Passover. Jesus is doing miracles upon miracles, uh, not just here and there, not just a few, but he's doing them regularly, continually is the idea, throughout each day. The crowds are growing around him. People are following him. He's becoming very, very popular um, to the point where at the beginning of chapter 6, we had the account of the feeding of the multitude or the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, one of the other accounts of the gospel um, records that this feeding of the 5,000 was just, the 5,000 were just the men, not including women and children, so it's very possible it it could easily have been 10, probably more like 15 or 20,000 people that were there. And Jesus, you remember, takes, uh, he's testing his disciples. He takes uh, a small boy's lunch and a small lunch at that, five barley loaves, two small fish, and Jesus feeds 15, 20,000 people with it. Okay, it was a miracle. It was a sign. Um, but you remember the people missed the sign. They saw the wonder of it. They were impressed by it. You remember? And then Jesus, when he perceives in his, in his heart, and of course he was being God, knew all things, he perceived that the people wanted to take him and make him the king. Why? Because who doesn't want a king who gives you what you want, right? Uh, even our politicians today kind of sometimes run on those platforms. Uh, hey, I'll get you a job. You vote me in, I'll get you a job. Hey, you vote me in, hey, I'll get you retirement. Vote me in, I'll get you health care. Vote me in, I'll make sure you have... You see, that, that people, we're, we're kind of prone to that entitlement. Uh, we want to vote for somebody who's going to help us. And these people wanted Jesus because they thought he could feed them. Who doesn't want a king who can feed them? And uh, Jesus saw that, but that's not why he came. And so he departed, he constrained, he commanded his disciples, get in the ship, go to the other side of Galilee. And of course, he knew there was going to be a storm there. They were going to be faced with some contrary winds. And they did. They went to the other side. Jesus walked on water. He stills the storm. He brings them to Capernaum. And the people get in boats, many of them, and they go to the other side as well. They track Jesus down. And Jesus was teaching them a profound truth. Um, a, hard to, uh, a truth that was hard to understand and hard to comprehend, and that truth was this, that he was the bread of life, that only he could satisfy, that only he could bring peace and contentment, that they needed him. Not physical food. Remember, that's all they could think about. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Those are great truths, but hey, uh, Mo- Moses, you know, manna from heaven, uh, for like 40 years, so you only fed 20,000 people one time, you know, so you can do better than that. They're still thinking about lunch, and Jesus is saying, that's not what you need. That's not your greatest need. The temporal things of this life are not the greatest needs of your life. The material things that you and I like to look at, and we like to partake of, we, we want to have them, we want to enjoy them. And I'm not talking about sinful things, just things, material things of this world, fade away. They wear out, right? And Jesus was saying, don't focus on the material. Don't focus on the temporal. You're so consumed with those things, but that is not your greatest need. The greatest need of your life, Jesus was saying, was him.
is him. You need him. You need him. And we're going to see in this passage that these people, their conclusion was, because there was no formal invitation given, but after Jesus Christ told them about who he was and what, that they needed him, they looked at him and they basically said this, what you're telling us is offensive to us. And it says that many of his disciples turned and walked away and never walked with him again. Let's look at our passage, John chapter 6, and I'll begin reading in verse number 41. John 6, verse 41. I'm going to read down through verse 71, and then we're going to to go through it together. Verse 41 says, The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, we know who this is. How is it then that he saith, I am I came down from heaven. Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. Stop complaining. Verse 44. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent him, draw him, sent me, hath draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. I'm the only thing that will ever satisfy you. That's what he was saying. Verse 49, Your fathers did eat man in the wilderness and are dead. That's earthly bread, uh, temporal bread. Verse 50, This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves. They began to argue among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now, he was speaking to them spiritually. Okay, and they're looking and they're saying, how am I supposed to chew on him? Okay, they're still thinking fleshly. They must have been so hungry. I don't know. It must have been a long trip. Now, I want to tell you before I read these next words, uh, Jesus used some, uses some very startling figures of speech. Um, nobody here uses this kind of a figure of speech, but it is startling um, but it, it is only a figure of speech. It ought to wrap, uh, grasp your attention, but you ought to not just say, that's hard, I don't have time for it. You ought to say, what does that mean to me? Look at verse 53. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Any of you eat people? Drink blood? No. It's a figure of speech. It's a figure of speech. We're going we're to study it. Verse 54. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue, 
as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? And what are they saying there? This is a hard saying. They're saying this is a rough saying. What Jesus is saying is rough. It's harsh. It's objectionable is what they're saying. They didn't mean this is a hard saying as it's obscure. We can't understand it. That's not what they were meaning. They said what you're telling us is offensive to us and we shouldn't have to listen to it. That's what they're saying here. Verse 61 When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, they're complaining about the message, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? (laughs) He already knew the answer. What, and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? That's really going to be offense to you. Verse 63, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit. The words of Christ are life, he says. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ. You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him. You remember with the kiss, being one of the twelve. Before we pray, look at the passage just for a moment uh, again in verse 66. Many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Are you walking with Christ? Are you following him? Are the waves of life, are the trials of life, are the temptations of your flesh, are the things that are tempting of this world, are you so consumed with the temporal, the material, that it's drawing your heart away from the eternal? Are you walking with him, or are you drawing back from your Lord and your Savior? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I pray, as we look at this passage. It is complex. It is not easy. It is not simple, and yet there is a glorious truth. There are glorious truths throughout this passage as Jesus taught. Father, I pray that to humble hearts this morning, you will illuminate your word beyond the words that I can say. Father, I pray that you would teach Humble hearts this morning, your word, and minister grace to the hearer. Encourage, strengthen, uh, give direction and clarity. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want want to draw your attention, if you would, to how the people responded to Jesus' message. Um, Look at verse 41, would you? How did the people respond to Jesus? Verse 41, it says, The Jews then murmured at him. So they were complaining, grumbling to him about him. They didn't like his message. Look, look all the way down to verse 52. Verse 52, uh, how did they respond when he spoke and he preached the truth to them? In verse 52, it says, The Jews then strove among themselves. They began to argue among themselves. There were conflicts within the group. And some were saying one thing, and some were saying the other thing. And 
They were arguing. It wasn't bringing unity together to this group. Well, part of the reason for that would have been because they were a self-serving group. Hey, I'm hungry. Can you, what can you do for me? Type of attitude. That, was per, that had permeated this group of people. They were not a selfless people. They did not have the nature of Jesus Christ in them. They were not selfless people. They were self-serving people. And look down to verse number 60. Verse 60, it says, in response to his message, Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard, this is an offensive saying. Who can hear it? Or I shouldn't have to put up with this. And then in verse 66, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. I wonder what we would have been inclined to say had we been there and in the synagogue uh, uh, in, in Capernaum that day. I wonder what we would have said. I wonder how we would have responded. You know, we have the benefit of looking back and we have the Word of God completed. You know, it's all together and Old and New Testament. And we can kind of, we see kind of, we almost have a big picture from our perspective looking back from our vantage point. But these people... They were immersed in Judaism, and not. And by Judaism, I don't mean just the teachings of the Old Testament, because much of that had been twisted and contorted, and very much it, it wasn't bringing honor to the Lord in many ways. In many ways, it was set up to honor man. It had kind of been hijacked, and um, uh, a self-righteous, a self-serving to a degree, a lot of arrogance and a lot of pride. And these people... They're, they're following Jesus, they're seeing all of the miracles, and here they are, they're, they're, they're impressed by him. That is to say the least, they are impressed, they are enamored with him. Hey, let's make you king, let's do something, let's, this man has power that's incredible. And yet, as the word of God, Jesus, talks to them, they don't understand what he's saying at all. They're completely confused, and he's using hard figures of speech Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't have eternal life. I mean, that's a hard saying, don't you think? Most of us in this room, if we read through John chapter 6, most of us in this room would not go back and study it out. We would read it and go, hmm, wonder why he said that, and we'd move right on. We wouldn't even stop today to ponder why he said what he said. These people didn't have the advantage of having this in front of them. And I wonder how we might have responded had we been there that day. This is a hard saying. This is offensive. Uh, who, I shouldn't have to listen to this. And, and they begin, they have this misunderstanding, and they begin to complain, and there's controversy taking place, and the people are arguing, and it all is in response to what Jesus has taught them. What was his teaching? Well, look back to verse 35 in John chapter 6. Look back to verse 35. What was his teaching? This is what Jesus was teaching them. This is the simple truth. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. You remember we, we talked about the grammar of those words, cometh and believeth. And it has the idea of he, that person who is coming to me will never hunger. That person who is believing on me shall never thirst. And I talked to you about how there was, some, for some of us, there was a time in our lives where we came to the Lord in childlike faith, having been drawn to him by God the Father. 
We believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ in childlike faith. He forgave us our sins. He gave us a peace that passeth all understanding. He made us his child. And we had this beautiful, wonderful peace. And we were walking in fellowship with the Lord. But sometimes years pass by and people fall out of... Well, they, they turn back. They stop walking with the Lord. They start trusting in themselves. They stop coming to him looking to him for the help and the wisdom that's needed in this life. They stop trusting in him for the events that this life brings into our lives. And, uh, and he seems to, that is, Jesus seems to grow further and further away from us when, in fact, he never changes. We are the ones who change. So are you still coming to him? Are you trusting in him with all of your heart? Look at verse number 40. What was his message? Verse 40. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's, his, that's Jesus' purpose right there. Remember what he said, I am come to seek and to save that which was lost. I'm come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I'm come that you may have eternal life, that you might have fellowship with your creator, with God, as you go through this life, that you can bring him honor and glory. And so Jesus was teaching that he was the bread of life. Jesus was teaching, and don't forget, as I'm talking here, and we're sitting in our air-conditioned, in our padded pews, don't forget they're standing around Capernaum, synagogue. Judaism is heavily prevalent. This wasn't at the first Baptist church in Capernaum, okay? There wasn't any pulpit. There wasn't any air conditioning. He's not wearing a suit. Uh, they've all just come over that morning uh, on boats. That is the people. And Jesus, this man with a Galilean accent, this man who has been ministering for about two years at this point in a public way, who's been teaching for only about two years in a public way, he's about 32 years old, his father was a carpenter, and I've told you before, that probably would have been a stonemason, and Jesus would have, for most of his life, worked with his father and not been preaching, okay? But he's all of a sudden risen to this prominence, and there's all of this excitement and enthusiasm about what he's doing, and now he's teaching these hard things, but he's still, while they're impressed by him, they haven't bought into him. They haven't, they're not believing in him. And, and they're looking at him, and he's telling them, I'm the bread of life. This, this stonemason, who has a lot of power, who has a big following, is telling all of these people that he alone is the primary need of every single one of them. That's what he's telling them. You need me, is what he's telling them. You see the problem here. Can you imagine that? He alone, he's telling them, can bring them satisfaction. He alone can bring them contentment. He alone can bring them eternal life. And all of these people, I have to believe, many of them were practicing Jews, and they, they're, they're looking at him and saying, wait just a moment. We know about eternal life. We know some things about eternal life. We know about the kingdom of God. We know about Jerusalem. We know about the sacrificial systems. And now you're going to stand here with your Galilean accent, kind of backwards for Israel at that time. 
And you're going to tell us, I, I know you, can, you fed a lot of people yesterday, but you're going to tell us that you are the way to heaven, you're the way to eternal life. You see the problem here? Do you see what they're stumbling at? <laughs> they're looking at a man. That was their problem. They were looking at a man, and they couldn't see past the man. And they were not believing upon him. They were stumbling at what he was saying. He knew in his heart they were rejecting him while he spoke to them. While he presented himself to them as the bread of life, he knew that in their hearts they were starting to sneer and in rebellion reject him. That would have been an awful, an awful message to preach. You know, whenever a person has found his hunger satisfied in this life or his thirst quenched in this life, it has always been and only has been when that person has come to Jesus and is believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You will never find peace and contentment in anything else than the Lord Jesus Christ. You will never find satisfaction in this life in any person or in anything except for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can meet the needs of your soul. He is the only one. And parents, we ought, and grandparents, you who believe that, and some of us waver on this point, but those of us who believe that, we ought to teach our children that. We need to talk about this with our children. You need to talk about this with your grandchildren. Jesus is not, was not just a good teacher. He was not just God. He is, and he was, but that is not all that he is. He's not just someone to come to Sunday school and hear about. He is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come, okay? And he is the only one who brings satisfaction. And so when I'm talking to my son and and everything revolves around Legos or everything revolves around balls or swimming or whatever else he's got in his mind, a four-wheeler or whatever else, you know what? Hey, that's nice. I like four-wheelers too. Hey, I like swimming too. I like Legos too. I love stepping on them. I really love vacuuming them up. That's what I like, Legos. But you know what? I like those things, too. Those are great. Those are great, but those have a place. Those have a place. Because there's nothing in this life, these things will never satisfy you. Now, here's the truth. They can't comprehend that. And so it's going to have to be a message that you're going to have to teach over and over again. You're going to have to repeat over and over again. And you know what? You know, we should understand that they can't comprehend that because you and I even struggle to comprehend that. And these people totally missed it. They totally missed it. These people were not being satisfied with Jesus because they were not believing upon him. Look at verse 36. Verse 36. He said, But I, but I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believed not. You are choosing not to believe. Why were they not believing upon Jesus? And, and maybe that was your question last week. Why were these people not believing on Jesus? Why is it that you and I sometimes don't continue to come to him, to seek him? Why is it that some of us who are born again draw back from him? And I think there are a couple of reasons, and they're both seen in our text. First of all, I noticed that some struggled with Jesus. They struggled with his person. They struggled with who he was. 
they really struggled with this. Who he was. Have you ever found somebody you didn't like? You just didn't like who they were. Nobody wants to admit that. You don't have to raise your hand. Hopefully you're not married to them. Okay. But you just didn't like who they were. You just did not match up. They weren't who you thought they were, or they, by their actions, by their, what they said, or their spirit, their demeanor. I, okay, these people struggled with Jesus' person. They didn't like who he was when push came to shove. Um, look at verse number 41. We'll work our way through the text. It says in verse 41, the Jews then murmured at him. Why? Because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Verse 42, and they said, in response to what he said, they say, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Now, was Jesus' father Joseph, yes or no? No, he was his stepfather. He was not his biological father. Who was Jesus' father, according to the Bible? God. Was Mary Jesus' mother? Yes. Okay, so Jesus had a mother, and they said, we know. He's, he's saying he's come, the bread come down from heaven. We know this guy. He's not from heaven. He's from Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem. We know his mom, Mary. We know his father, Joseph. I wonder how that affected Mary throughout her life, knowing where Jesus came from. And it wouldn't have mattered if she had put up billboards or had advertisements or meetings about how Joseph's not Jesus' father. God is. Do you think anybody would have believed her? No. Nobody would have believed her. And all of this time, for much of her life, Mary is living with this. And with these people, they thought they knew Jesus. At the end of verse number 42, it says, How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? And so the primary problem the people had with Jesus was really created because they didn't know who he was. This is interesting. They thought they knew him. I think this is a problem today, by the way, within Christianity. I think many, many times people think they know Jesus Christ, but they do not know him. These people thought they knew him. It was almost like, you can tell by their speech here, it's almost like they view themselves as the, the authority on Jesus. We know about you. You can't say that. What you're saying is not true because we know better about you. Uh, just a little odd. Look at verse 42 again, the beginning part. And they said, Isn't this, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? To these people, Jesus was just a man. That was their problem. He was nothing more than a man. They thought they had a perfect knowledge about who Jesus was. They thought they knew his parents, but they didn't know who he was at all. So they couldn't understand how he could possibly have come down from heaven. And their thinking, by the way, was very rational. And I'll even go so far as to say this, their thinking was understandable. Don't you think so? I think it is. It's under, totally understandable. I think it's very pr- probable that you and I might have said the same thing under the same circumstances. They were wrong to come to the conclusion that they knew all about Jesus. Can any one of us here honestly claim that we know all things about any other person in this room? Now, there are some of you in this room, you've been married a long time. Mr. and Mrs. Green, how long have you been married? How many years? 
59 years. Would you say you both know one another pretty well? Pretty well, yeah, I'd say. I'd say they know each other really well. They know each other really, really well. But the fact is, even in a marriage of 59 years, there are going to be some things that are unknown. Not, not any of us in this room know, ev- knows everything about anybody else in this room. All of us in this room have preconceived ideas, or we think we know, and we act according to what we know. These people were acting according to what they thought they knew, but the fact is they didn't know him at all. These men lacked spiritual discernment. They lacked understanding about who Jesus was. They're completely bewildered because they were content to rest in their ignorance. And I'm going to use that word. They were, and they choose to walk away, as we see, based upon what they believe about Jesus. That's why people walk away from Jesus. Because at the end of the day, they don't believe that he is enough. That's why. That's why people walk away from the written word and the living word. Because they don't, at the end of the day, they've done the math, and in their estimation, this isn't enough. It's true, most people say, it's true, but my situation. And that was their estimation. Oh, he's a good man, he's power, he can do amazing things, but at the end of the day... He's just a man. He's not enough for my situation. Hmm. We're not too far from this sometimes. They were content to rest in what they knew. They didn't investigate what Jesus was saying. They sought him. And remember that they're seeking him. That word is actually used in our passage in chapter 6. These men are actually seeking him. They sought him. But they were not able to find him. They sought him not because they had seen the sign, not because they knew that he was the Christ, not because they knew he was the Savior of the world, but they sought him uh, for a meal. They had failed to grasp the significance of the miracles. And so Jesus is speaking at length with them in order to direct their attention to the spiritual, to the eternal. He revealed who he was. He reveals his purpose, and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes but they didn't see any of these things. How did, how did Jesus, by the way, answer their unbelief? Look at verse 43, and we'll continue here. Verse 43, follow along. You, you might even make notes in your Bible. You could use pencil. Verse 43 says, Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. So he quiets their complaining, and then he told them the reason they could not understand him. Why couldn't they understand what he was saying? Look at verse 44. No man can come to me, Jesus said, except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And then Jesus talks about the ultimate, and I will raise him up at the last day. Throughout the Bible, the resurrection is in view. There's a laying to rest throughout the Bible, cover to cover, Old and New Testament. God's people, the followers of God, are laid to rest because there's an expectation, cover to cover, that there's going to be a resurrection. Very important. It's a picture. It's a picture. It's a a testimony that I believe 
that there is going to be a resurrection. And so Jesus was almost telling these people exactly what he had told Nicodemus. Look back to chapter 3. Chapter 3 and verse 2. You remember Nicodemus, don't you? Chapter 2, or chapter 3 and verse number 2. Here comes this Pharisee named Nicodemus. He's a ruler of the Jews. And in verse 2, it says, The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, or teacher, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Look at verse verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, you can't see, you can't know or discern spiritual things without believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ. These people in chapter 6 were completely uh, undiscerning. They were completely misunderstanding what Jesus was saying. And Jesus had told basically the same thing to Nicodemus in chapter 3. You cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot know anything about the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Look back to our text in chapter 6. Jesus is saying, you're seeking me, you're coming to me, but not to me. You're coming to a man looking for a meal, but, but you don't realize you're standing before the Savior of the world who can save your soul and forgive your sin and give you a peace that passes all understanding and satisfy your every need. And all you're seeing is a meal. Sometimes when we go through a trial or a test, and we are people, and God knoweth our frame. He knows our frame. He knows how we're built. Sometimes all we can see is, God, get me out of this mess. And maybe not in that attitude. Maybe it's, Lord, please get me out of this mess. That's all we can see. Most of us have been there. You've got to fix this. I can't keep going on like this. And we're, we are people. Sometimes we find ourselves coming to the Lord for these things when he says, all of these things are for you. I have not just the need, not just the answer for that, that need, which is so big to you, but it's so small to me. But I am, I am your everything. Look, look there at our text in verse 45. Verse 45, and Jesus, of course, is saying here, just before verse 45, you're seeking me, but no man can come to me except my Father which sent me draws him. I want to tell you this, a relationship with Christ depends upon God's action. No, no man, woman, boy, or girl has ever been saved without God the Father doing his part, okay? You say, Pastor Ferguson, are you a Calvinist? No. Did you read what Jesus Christ just said? Is he a Calvinist? No. He said, no man comes to the Savior for salvation except God the Father draws him. So God it has a wonderful work in our salvation. We all ought to say amen to that. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, for drawing me to the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's also equally true that a relationship with Jesus Christ depends upon our response. Look at verse 45. And right in the same context, verses 44 and then 45, Jesus says this, It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. 
Do you notice the significance here? Jesus is telling these people, you cannot come to me except you are drawn of the Father, but that is no excuse for your ignorance because God is drawing you. He's teaching you. You can't blame God. God didn't draw me. He revealed his truth to you so that you could believe upon him. You see, there's two sides to that coin. None of us are saved without his drawing us, but folks, he's drawing today. He's still drawing today. The call still comes out, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But there's still a need to come. There still was a need on the parts of these people, as God the Father was drawing them, to respond in obedience to the Father. The teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 45, the latter part. And basically, again, he's saying everyone that is listening and learning what the Father is teaching comes to Jesus Christ. In verse 45, we see the drawing of God, and we see the learning of man. That's mankind's responsibility to respond obediently to the Father. Look at verse 46. He goes on, Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father, and Jesus there is referring to himself. Verse 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. And I will ask the question only, do you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe upon him? Are you confident that he is the Savior of the world? That he can take your sins away? That he can forgive you of your sin? Or do you look at him as just a good teacher, a person, personality in the Bible? Remember, these people were struggling with his person. They believed that he existed. They believed that Jesus was a man. They believed he was from Galilee. They believed his parents were Mary and Joseph. Uh, they believed he was powerful, but they didn't believe in him as the Christ. God. Do you believe upon Jesus Christ? In verse 48, Jesus makes the claim, I am that bread of life. In verse 49, he goes on and he says, Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. You're, all you're concerned about is your stomachs and this temporal life. You can feed on that stuff and it's going to lead to nothing. Verse 50, this is the bread which cometh down from heaven. Maybe he was gesturing to himself. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. Jesus uses their own reference back in verse 31 to the man of the Old Testament to contrast the temporal manna of the Old Testament to the eternal manna, the eternal bread of life that was in himself. Look at verse 51. He says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If if, if any man eat of this bread, he's imagining gesturing to himself, if any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. You will have eternal life. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. What amazing words Jesus uses here. So some of them struggled with Jesus' person. All they saw was a man. If all you see is a man, it will not be enough for you. It will not be enough for you. It will not save your soul from death and hell. And for those of you who are saved from death and hell because there was a time in your past when you didn't just look at Jesus as a man, but you saw him as God and the Savior of the world and you believed upon him, though that has happened in your past and it's happened in my past now, what, 35 years ago, if you and I stop coming 
to him, if we stop coming to him, if we stop believing upon him in our daily life, that he, Jesus Christ, living within us is God and that he is sufficient and that he is able. So, and you know, we have, we, we all have, every, we have opportunities throughout every day. Pastor Burden talked about how New York put them all in a position where they had to seek the Lord because they didn't feel, they had this overwhelming sense of, they, I don't have enough. I don't have what it takes for where I'm at. You know, we're, all of, many of us, I think, are a little deluded into thinking that I have enough. I have what it takes for where I'm at. That's, that's a problem. That's a problem. Should I, as your pastor, ever come to the pulpit with a sermon? I've studied. I have the Word of God. Should I ever step to this pulpit? Would you want me to do this, to step to the pulpit with the attitude of, I got this? You don't want that? You don't want a self-confident pastor? I got this. Don't worry. I got you. Is that what you want? That's kind of repulsive, isn't it? You got a problem with that. Some of you are like, do we need to have a meeting after the service? We don't want a pastor like that. But you know what? Should I be like that? Should I have that attitude of, I got this as a dad, as a husband? You see, we ought to have the attitude that is drawn out of us when we're on the New York trip and in the not just on the New York trip, but in those times in life where we're at, we're kind of like, I don't know what, what do I need to do? How do I respond? How do I, I've never been here before. You know, there ought, to, there ought to be some of us men in this room that have gone off to the workplace, the same commute every day for so many years. You know, it's the vehicle almost knows how, knows the way to carry this, you know, sleigh to, you know, okay, to get to work every day, you know. And, and you're, you know the way, and you know, and everybody knows you, and they know how you operate, and you know how they operate, and you've got this. There ought to be some, some husbands and some leaders of the home who are on the way to work saying, Lord, I don't have this today. God, I need your wisdom today. I need your direction. Thank you for the intellect you've blessed me with, and Lord, help me for the intellect you didn't bless me with. Give me wisdom. Give me guidance. And some of us ought to have that attitude with our children. Because some of us wake up every day and you know, they're the same kids. We got this. We know them. They know us. Get in your place. Maybe there ought to be an era of, Lord, I don't have this. I need you. I need the Savior of the world who lives within me to work through me for your honor and for your glory. And now we're getting to the nature or the purpose for why he came, and he talks about this in the text. Look in verse 52 as we continue on. The Jews therefore strove among themselves. It means quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man, you see how they see him, give us his flesh to eat? Maybe they, they were thinking leg of lamb. You know, it was fish and chips the night before. Maybe leg of lamb today. But he's talking about eating his flesh. This is not going the way we want it to. And again, though, this is an understandable, perfectly understandable question because they weren't thinking in the spiritual realm. They were thinking in the physical realm, which is where you and I so often think. It shouldn't be so hard on them. But how can a man impart his own humanity to another man so that that other man can assimilate that man's, that man's humanity, his character, his nature, and find his nature dominating his own nature. Wow. There are deep truths in this statement. 
They totally missed it. But see, this is he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came not only to deliver us from death and hell to come, but he came that we might have life, that we might live with his nature emanating through us. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to take Seth Ferguson's sin upon his body so that Seth Ferguson could live for the Lord. And Seth Ferguson does not live for the Lord by walking in his flesh, depending upon himself. That's not living for the Lord. That's a mess. That's ugly. That's disappointing. What's glorious is when by the grace of God, Seth Ferguson relies upon the Lord Jesus Christ and love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, temperance, meekness. You see, that, that, that's cause for a gawker delay or a gaper delay. I think they call it in southeastern Pennsylvania, a gaper delay. You know, when everybody stops to see what's happened, that's cause. When, when a man or a woman in this life, with the trials of this life and the temptations that every one of us go through, when we are partakers of his nature, something's totally different. It's a miracle. Forgiveness has taken place. Long-suffering is evident. There's a peace in the middle of a trial. That's worth checking out. That's miraculous. And that's what Jesus is, uh, is getting at in this passage. How could this be? They, they weren't comprehending this. They didn't understand that Jesus was talking to them about his entire personality. John 10.10 10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You see, Christ wants to bear his fruit. He wants to live his life through our lives. And so he's saying, you need to eat of my flesh. You need to take me in. You need to receive me. That's what you get when you eat something, right? Notice, then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, this is the hard verse, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. What is he saying here? Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. Well, the flesh represents Jesus' sinless and perfect nature. Now, this, they stumbled at this. This is offensive. You think you're perfect. Hmm. We know where you're from. We know your parents. I know what you did. I know where you're born. They're, they're not believing. They're seeing a man. Just this Galilean. This, this guy from Nazareth. Like, okay, so you can feed 20,000 people. Big deal. I don't need you. That's kind of their attitude. The flesh represents Jesus' sinless and perfect nature. The blood at least suggests to his death. You need me, Jesus is saying. You need my death. You need me to die for you. You need me to live through you. You need to eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. Uh, when we eat something, it becomes a part of us, doesn't it? You've heard the term, you are what you eat? Yeah. How many of us know that? Yeah. Ice cream. You know, uh, I like getting a handful of peanuts and some large chocolate chips, you know, 
and the serving size is the size of your hand. That's all how better I know how to work that. It's just the size of your hand, you know, and it goes. It's great. It's not a Snickers. It's better than that. This has got dark chocolate, okay, dark chocolate. So is that good for me? Yes. All right. I got Mrs. Scott's approval. Um, but you are what you eat. And that's what he's telling them here. You are what you eat. He's using figurative language. He's saying, unless you eat my flesh, unless you're a partaker of my humanity, you don't have life. You're not living the life that God, saved, that God, that God has for you to live. Unless you drink of my blood, unless you partake of my death, unless you've entered into that experience that comes by the way of the shedding of blood, you don't have any life in yourselves. That's the negative, but the positive. Look at verse 54. He says, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. If you'll receive Christ, is what he's saying. If you'll receive me, you will have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Again, this is very important, the resurrection. You're going to belong to me. I'm going to raise you up. And there are, two, there, there are at least two kinds of resurrection. One is the resurrection of the dead, speaking of those who are lost and unsaved. And there, 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 then there's the, uh, the, so there's the resurrection unto death, hell. But then there's a resurrection of those who are saved unto eternal life. These physical bodies belong to God, even after the Spirit of God and the soul leaves this physical body. Verse 55, he says, For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. That's kind of a hard saying. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. Have you received Jesus Christ? That is the question. Does he live in you? Do you dwell in him? Are you one with him? Acts 4 and verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. I need him. I need him. You need him. Look at verse 57. As the, he goes on, As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, receiveth me, even he shall live by me. Verse 58. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna, not the temporal. He keeps telling them, I'm not talking about eating me physically. <laughs> okay? That's not what I'm talking about. Those people ate of that manna and are dead, but he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Eternal life. Verse 59, these things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So what is Jesus saying? He is the bread of life. That humanity can find in him that which will satisfy and sustain your deepest needs. I'm going to read from the hymnal for just a moment. You don't have to turn there. It's a hymn entitled Satisfy. Psalm 107, verse 9 says, He satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. And here's the hymn. All my life long I had panted for a drink from some cool spring that I hoped would quench the burning of the thirst I felt within. Feeding on the husks around me till my strength was almost gone. Longed my soul for something better, only still to hunger on. Well of water, ever springing, bread of life, and that's what Jesus is referring to himself here as, bread of life so rich and free, untold wealth that never faileth, my Redeemer is to me. I didn't write that hymn, but I can identify with those words. 
Hallelujah, I have found him whom my soul so long has craved. Jesus satisfies my longings. Through his blood, I now am saved. Some of us can remember a time in our lives where that hymn resonated with us. We can say, yes, there was a time I was longing, I was searching, I, I was craving something that would satisfy, and then I found Christ, and we know that the Father drew you to him, and you received him, and, and he, you were satisfied. But you know what? For maybe some people in this room this morning, you've stopped coming unto him. You've stopped believing upon him. You've gotten distracted again by the husks around you. You know what you have inside of you again? It's a longing. And it's not a need to be saved again. It's a need to continue to follow Christ. To continue to worship him. To continue to love him. To continue to come to him every day. To continue to believe upon him. To trust in him. And to not lean on your own understandings. But in all of your ways. And to acknowledge him. And let him direct your path. He is the Christ. So there's an invitation. And that's not a time for us to stand and sing, but there was an invitation. It came during the message where all invitations really come throughout a message. The sermon had been preached. The power of Christ had been witnessed. It was time for an invitation. And look at verse 60, and we'll just read it and we'll be done. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said... This is a hard, this is an offensive saying to us. Who can hear it? I shouldn't have to listen to this, and nobody else should either. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Doth this offend you? What, and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? When I go to heaven, that's going to offend you too. If this offends you, that's going to offend you too. Why are you rejecting my message? Why are you disliking my message, Jesus was saying? They hated his message. Why? Because for him to have to go to the cross, that was shameful. To die? They didn't want a a person to lead them who was going to die. Verse 63, it is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. It's only temporal. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And Christ again points them away from their carnal, their materialistic, temporal, self-dependent minds. And he emphasizes the value of the words they're hearing. His words are life. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Oh, how love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day. The word of God is life. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Look at verse 64. But there are some of you, Jesus continues, that believe not. Oh. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believe not and who should betray him. And again, I ask you, do you believe that you need Jesus Christ? Not just need a spiritual crutch. Not just need a man religion. Not just something something to patch up your self-made person, who you are. I don't need a patch. I need Christ. I need a God to worship. I need a God to rely upon and a God to worship and love and one who loves me back. Do you believe that he can satisfy? Because these people didn't. 
They looked at Jesus, this man from Galilee, and their conclusion was, you've got to be kidding me. We know who you are, and you're not enough for us. I'm not being too harsh. That was their conclusion. My question is to you, was he enough for them? Yes or no? Yes, he was. Their conclusion was wrong. My question to you is, is he enough for you? Is he enough for me? The more that I learn of him, the more that I love him. The more that I learn of him, the more I'm convinced that he is who he says he is. Am I a loony as a 40-year-old man who has gotten caught up in man's religion? The more that I study about him, the more that I read about him, the longer I live life and I read this book, the more I know that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. He is worth living for. He is the only one that satisfies. Look at verse 65. And he said, Therefore I said unto you that no man can come to me except it were given unto him of my Father. He's given you the truth. What are you going to do with it? Verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. I think some, those are some of the saddest words in all the Bible right there. I'm reminded of John, that chapter 1. He came unto his own. He came unto his own. He talked with his own. He revealed himself to his own. I'm the bread of life. His own received him not. They walked away from him. Why? Because they're only thinking about the temporal. They're only thinking about the material. And they completely missed the spiritual. Verse 67, then said Jesus unto the twelve. And you can get the sense of Jesus' humanity here. There's an aching in him. And he says, will ye also go away? Are you going to leave me too? And look at Peter's reply, and I love his reply in verse 68. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. What a beautiful conclusion. Peter had been listening to what Jesus had said. Look back to verse 63, the latter part. Jesus had said, the flesh profiteth nothing. But the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And so Peter says in verse 68, the latter part, he says, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of life. Look at verse 69. And we believe, Peter continues, and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. To whom shall we go? That's my conclusion. At this point in my life, it's my conclusion. And I hope it grows from here. More firm and more stable. My conclusion is, my children were say, hey, why do we go to church? Why do we, why do, why does pastor preach the Bible? Why does he take so much, why do we take time like this to study? Why do we go back? Isn't this enough? I guess I'll tell my children, where else, where else should we go? I don't know anywhere else to take, to take you. Go boating. That'd be fun. But it won't satisfy your soul and minister to your needs. It won't meet your needs. We can try to live for material wealth and gain. We can, we can try to be the most physically fit 
family on the face of the planet. But we can try to indulge ourselves with all kinds of food and just live and try to just get some sort of contentment and peace in life through food. Or maybe alcohol or maybe drugs. Maybe through sexual relationships. You see, the world is consumed with trying to find peace and contentment, satisfaction. It's found in one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Where else will you go? There's nowhere else to go. You have the words of life. You have him. To you who are saved, I look at you this morning and I say to you, you have him. Keep coming to him. Keep believing upon him. Look to him. Look and live. Don't look away from it. You will never find contentment anywhere else. Would you take your hymnals and let's all stand to our feet this morning and we'll close with hymn number 253. 253, turn your eyes upon Jesus. I've asked Pastor Tolman to lead us in all three stanzas. It's not a long hymn.